businesses use over 90% of the world's resources. My view was that if I really wanted to make a big impact, that I wanted to do it through business. So it is understanding about what is out there on the market, where things come from, how fresh it is, what the length is in the supply chain, and then we're able to go and make our decisions about who we're going to source from. But then on the flip side, our DNA is being sustainable. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital podcast. Today's guest is Leslie Silverglide. Leslie is the co-founder and CEO of Mixed, a fast casual restaurant chain offering healthy meal options in 18 locations around the U.S., including Dallas, where I have eaten multiple times. Mixed serves over 1 million pounds of fruits and vegetables every year and has been a pioneer of sustainability in the restaurant industry. Leslie also co-founded Wello, a fitness platform, and was a vice president at Weight Watchers. Let's dive in. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Let's kick it off by telling us and our audience what motivated you to start Mixed. So my background is actually in environmental sustainability. So in college, I had studied geography and environmental engineering, and then I did a master's in science in biodiversity conservation and management. So it seems pretty unlikely that I would end up in the restaurant world. Um, But what I had learned while doing my master's is that businesses use over 90% of the world's resources. My view was that if I really wanted to make a big impact, that I wanted to do it through business. And so I was very interested in finding industries where not very much had been done to really bring this idea of being an environmentally beneficial company together. And um, so I just saw that there was this huge opportunity in the restaurant world to do this because there was, at the time, this was in the early 2000s, there was clearly Alice Waters and other leaders that were really talking about sustainable sourcing and sourcing local organic ingredients and being much more mindful about what you're eating. But there wasn't a model for restaurants and how they were looking at their entire footprint. So looking at beyond the sourcing to think about how you were building out your restaurant environment to water conservation and energy efficiency, and also, of course, focusing on sourcing and landfill diversion for for any sort of waste. And so I wanted to bring all these aspects together to create a new type of restaurant that serves healthy food, very plant-forward, and really hopefully create a totally new model for the restaurant industry, which is why we, we started Mixed. And you founded Mixed with your brother and your husband. So it's truly a family-owned business. That's correct. Oh, so I was just going to say we came together with my environmental background. My husband had just finished his MBA, so he had the business training. And then my brother 
was a fine dining chef. So he brought the restaurant experience. Walk us through what sustainable ingredient sourcing means to you. Yeah, that's a great question because people always ask us like, are you 100% local? Are you 100% organic? And what I say is that we source literally hundreds of ingredients that come into our store every day. And we can't have this very strict line because we say what we practice is very mindful and thoughtful sourcing. And so we take into consideration for every ingredient that we bring in how it's raised, where it's coming from, how far it's traveling, and how fresh it is. And so why I say we don't have this strong stance that says we are 100% organic because that might not be what we would view as the best ingredient, especially if you're sourcing from a large organic farm that's outside the country where we could source from somebody that's 100 miles away and maybe just hasn't gone through the certification process. So for us, it's really important just to know exactly the full journey of our ingredients and then to be able to make the best so, um, educated decision. So do you have like a like a computer program or some kind of spreadsheet that helps you analyze those different variables in a sourcing decision? Yeah, I, I, wish, <laughs> I wish we had an algorithm that could do it. Um, but a lot of it is honestly um, human input and human work. And um, so it is understanding about what is out there on the market, where things come from, how fresh it is, what the length is in the supply chain, and then we're able to go and make our decisions about who we're going to source from. And then what we focus on, once we're able to hone in on who is going to be able to provide us what we believe is the best product, then we look to forming a long-term relationship with them so we can have an ongoing relationship. I'd love to get your advice as an expert. Do you think that when an ingredient is labeled as as sustainable, that it always truly is? Yeah, I don't don't think it is. I mean, I think that's part of the trouble is that the definition of sustainability, of even local for that matter, is completely vague. It's how you interpret it. Um, You know, you ask some people, what would you consider a local ingredient? And they'll tell you, oh, anything within 50 miles. And then you ask the person next to them and they say, oh, no, no, it might be 500 miles. Um, So there isn't a clear definition for what local or sustainable means. And that's why we see it so important for us to do the work to actually understand what's going into producing our various ingredients because we don't have a perfect standard system right now that we can use to 100% know without verifying ourselves where something's coming from. Which ingredient is giving you the most heartburn right now? And I don't mean when you eat it. I mean like when you're deciding <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, the sourcing, like what, what's the toughest kind of, of challenges for you? Um, if you could give us an example of one, I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, I think I have two interesting examples. Um, So one is that from the get-go, we decided that we were going to change our menu seasonally, which had not really existed in the fast, casual, quick-service landscape at all. You know, the idea of being a a seasonal restaurant was not, um, just didn't exist. And um, so we knew by making that stance that that would enable us to be able to source the best 
ingredients when they're at their best to be able to really adhere to more local and sustainable practices. Um, but that being said, there are certain ingredients that we've always struggled with. And one is cherry tomatoes. And so you can imagine if you show up um, to a restaurant that predominantly sells salads and they tell you that half the year they're not going to have cherry tomatoes and people are going to go crazy because <laughs> it is such a, a staple in a salad. So, you know, early on we had to make concessions and realize, you know, there is just a consumer expectation that we should be able to eat cherry tomatoes year round. And so that is one of the big concessions we've made to say, yes, we will be sourcing cherry tomatoes. Mostly are, they're coming from Mexico. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just something that we have to do. And so that's something that always bothers us. Um, and then, you know, avocados have also been something that has just had a very uh, tumultuous, a year or two where there's been undersupply and um, bad harvest and I mean people's love and demand for avocado is just keeps going up um, and it's hard honestly for growers to be keeping up with the demand. Yeah absolutely we we actually had um, another food business on the podcast that s- said that illuminated that food that came on a truck actually was less sustainable than food that was delivered by boat. And so um, I think that there's there's also kind of some deeper analysis that can be done about certain ingredients. I, I don't know exactly how it gets. The cherry tomatoes get here from Mexico, but um, for him, it was actually more sustainable to bring quinoa from Peru than it was honey from Alberta, Canada to put mm-hmm. into his ingredients, which was, you know, really, really incredible to learn. Yep, exactly. I mean, especially when you're talking about ingredients that are probably flown, um, versus trucked, versus shipped. Um, and, but, and, you know, I think that's an interesting example because it's a dry good. So you can, you can make that call. Right. Um, but, you know, for fresh ingredients, it's, that's a different story. Yes. That's a great point. I've been reading a lot about food waste, and um, the NRDC estimates that restaurants in the U.S. waste an estimated 22 to 33 million pounds of food every year, which is incredible. But at the same time, your business composts, composts or recycles 99% of its weight, of your waste. How did you accomplish that? So it was... A- it's just been a very conscious decision about all the inputs that we're bringing into the business. And then if they are going to be thrown away, then what happens to them afterwards? From the get-go, we set up very detailed procedures about how everything is sorted and where everything goes and really um, have the stance that almost nothing should go in you know, a garbage or landfill bin. Um, we have a few things that we still haven't found a solution for, like our our gloves are an example of that. Um, so for food safety, our chefs have to wear uh, gloves, but there isn't a compostable or recyclable option on the market that we can use. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's a lot for us. It's come down to protocol and 
our standard operating procedures, but then also thinking before we even source something, what's going to be the chain of it. And so interestingly, a lot of times we've gone back and forth whether or not to use compostable takeaway packaging versus recyclable takeaway packaging. We were the first restaurant to have 100% compostable takeaway materials when we opened in 2006. What we learned was that a lot of our compostable materials were actually ending up in the recycling stream and they ended up polluting the recycling stream um, and didn't have any embodied energy because people couldn't take the packaging and because they didn't have compost bins in their offices, for example, or, you know, they're not on city streets. So we made the hard decision to actually move to a recyclable product. But now, of course, uh, the what we can recycle in the U.S. is significantly decreasing. And so now we're moving back to a compostable product. So it's, it's something we're always constantly in flux about um, to make the, the best choice. Well, I have an idea for the gloves. You can just get some helium and fill them up and then tie strings on them and give them away as party balloons. <laughs> That's a great idea. Value, oh. value add from the Beyond Capital <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank I, you. I would like to shift a little bit to talk about how the social and environmental considerations being at the center of your business strategy have perhaps had a positive effect, I'm I'm assuming here, but a positive effect on your branding and customer loyalty. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think what's very interesting is that I think for a lot of our customers, now that we are, have been around in the 14 years that, you know, there's an immense amount of trust um, that we've been able to, to gain from our our guests that come in um, and that they trust <laughs> the ingredients that we're putting forth um, are what we're promoting, um, even new ingredients and uh, things they've never heard of. We like being a place that pushes the envelope in terms of introducing new flavors, new ingredients to people. Um, and so I, that's one of the really fun things we get to do. And so, um, our customers give us a lot of faith and leeway in, in enabling us to do that. I also imagine it's had an impact on employee retention. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has. I mean, one of the things I'm honestly most proud of is that the first employee we ever hired in our first store um, was our first dishwasher, and his name's Alberto, and he's still with us today. And so in the, in the restaurant industry, that's almost unheard of where you have between 100 to 200% turnover every year. So I think, you know, one of actually the huge differences for us is that having my husband and I not come from the restaurant industry and not have already a working framework, but just coming in and saying, look, we're going to build a team. We want to build a great team. And how, how can we do that? How can we make sure we take care of our most valuable resource, which is our team members. Um, we came in with that perspective. And so long before um, San Francisco passed an ordinance to have healthcare for employees, we had full um, healthcare for all of our employees, 401k programs, um, you know, just going above and beyond in terms of really taking care of our employees so that 
they could have a place where they felt supported, taken care of, and a place where they could grow in their career. That's really exciting. I was just looking at my notes and, and saw that you sold the company to a private equity firm in 2009 and then, mm-hmm. and then later bought it back. So I'm wondering if you can we tell did. us that story. <laughs> yeah. So walk us through kind of, you know, your process in, in the sale and then buying it back and um, what made you want to do that? I think that's an interesting story for, for people to hear. It's not a, a common story here, but a, it's certainly a fun one. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we had the opportunity to sell it. And the, really the idea behind selling it was that if we were partnering with a, a group that was going to enable Mix to become a national and international brand um, and have the financing and, and support to do that. And so that's what we were really, really excited about. Um, after a few years of partnering, we just realized that that wasn't the direction the company was going and there was the opportunity to take it back and, and bring back the, the crucial DNA that had been lost through that time. Really just kind of reset and go back to what is our original vision and how are we going to see this through? And that is, we've always been on the mission to, bring better eating to as many people as possible. And so just resetting along around that and then making sure that we could go out and, and continue to execute on that. And that's what we're focused on today. And in the interim, you founded, you co-founded another business, uh, Wello, which is an online fitness training platform. Is Wello still operating? Tell us more about it. Yeah, so Wello um, was started in 2011, and Wello was really ahead of its time. It enabled you to work out over live two-way video with a fitness instructor. So now everybody knows yes. Peloton and, and Mirror and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's exactly what we were offering. We were offering people this flexibility to be able to exercise in a way that was comfortable because you can do it in your home private environment, but also was incredibly motivating because you had a real person that was designing a program for you and holding you accountable. Um, and it was incredibly fun to build and a lot of technology and uh, engineering resources went into building this incredible marketplace that allowed you to find the right professional for you to connect over a live two-way video and to build an ongoing relationship. And one of the interesting things that we discovered um, once the once the business was out in the wild and we had a ton of users was that there, uh, there was a very pronounced group of people that were looking to lose a pretty substantial amount of weight that were absolutely loving our product. And so we saw an opportunity to partner with Weight Watchers, the world's leading weight loss company, and bring this fitness component to it. And in the process of doing that, um, we were acquired by them <laughs> and so that we were able to then merge this awesome fitness platform we, that we had built with um, the incredible brand and program that they had been developing over 60 years. Wow, incredible. That's really, yeah, that's really cool. 
And thinking a little bit more about the thread between your two companies, why is health and wellness important to you? Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely the thing that is so important to me and and my life. Um, You know, I'd say that health and wellness and sustainability are all interlinked for me. I am somebody that personally has derived uh, an immense amount of pleasure and satisfaction out of being a very active person and really being mindful about what I do to my body and what I put in my body. So if you look at a lot of rise in disease and people being unwell and living with illnesses their entire life, you know, a lot of it stems from lifestyle. So, you know, I've somewhat made that my mission in life to, to see how we can help people live healthier lives. So they don't, they get to the point before they get a diagnosis at the doctor can be more thoughtful. And so um, that's just what I love doing. And I love thinking about how we can bring new ways to get people really excited about living a healthy lifestyle. And so I think certainly with mixed and food, we've been able to do that. I mean, when we first started, you know, people told us we were crazy that salads, no one would eat salads as a meal. You know, they were just a side. And so, you know, obviously that is not true by any means. And salads became kind of a major component of, of people's eating and, and really changed. But the other thing was about making salads really, really tasty. And so making them really complex with incredible flavors and utilizing unique ingredients and bringing them together in thoughtful combinations that makes them incredibly craveable. So it's not just the good decision you know you're making for your body. It's actually the one you want to be making because it just tastes really good. Um, and so with fitness, it was kind of the same view of how do you get people to love being active um, when you know most people kind of dread it. And what we found was that having that personal connection with a person that's going to support you and be your guide makes it a hundred times more enjoyable to work out and be engaged in activity. Um, And so how do we bring, you know, what was usually a prohibitively expensive endeavor working with a personal trainer or personal fitness instructor, how do we bring that to the masses? How do we make that accessible for anyone, anywhere, anytime was the thought around starting Wello. So um, you just opened your location in Dallas not too long ago. I want to say in the last year, if I'm not mistaken. We did. Yeah. So, so where's the state of the business now? Um, I think it's just, you know, you, you, you got it back in 2013. Is, is, there, is the whole crew running it? And kind of what's your, what do you think the business is going to be um, up to in the next couple of years? Yeah, so my husband and I are continuing to run um, run mixed, and we opened Dallas this year. We're opening up our first Arizona location shortly. We opened one in um, in LA and Silver Lake um, most recently. So we're just continuing to bring mixed to more people, and um, are really really enjoying doing that. So you know, the next several years for us looks like just kind of marching our way, hopefully across the country and bringing mix to, to more people so we can bring better eating. Yeah, that's, that, that's great. And are there any trends that you have seen from being in the restaurant industry 
over over the years that are kind of now, you know, coming coming to fruition in your business? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's amazing for us, which we certainly, we knew that salads equated to healthy eating and that there was this great opportunity to make really good salads. But we had no idea what was going to come with the plant forward movement that's mm-hmm. taking place. Um, I think it's we're just at the forefront right now where people are being much more mindful about what they eat and um, the diversity of things they're eating and being plant-based at least certain points of their week or or day um, is really what people are focused on and really acknowledging the fact that you need to eat mostly plants. You know, if you choose to eat meat and dairy and other things, you know, that's fine. Um, But it's, there needs to be a balance and um, we've just seen the education of our consumers just go through the roof in terms of people really understanding and the nutritional breakdown of what they should be eating and and being able to craft those meals. I would would say like even, you know, plant-based protein too. It's it's something that you can really not to these days, not even have um, it's really hard to have too many plant-based protein options just from the point of view of somebody like me, I eat primarily plant-based diet. And, um, you know, when I, when I go to places like mixed, I, I love to see as many options as I, as I can get. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's why I think we're just at the, the forefront of how this is exploding. I mean, certainly with beyond need and impossible, they've broken through on the meat front. Um, but you know, we're going to see it in eggs and dairy and everything else you can imagine. Um, and you know, I think the products are good. And so it's going to be this very easy substitution for people in terms of taste and, um, flavor and, uh, texture. And so, I mean, I, I just, I think we're going through this radical change in how people think about eating. That's really exciting. And also I imagine has influence on, you know, your business and, and the, the, your plans for expanding as well. Yeah. And the, the other thing that's really interesting about it is that when we started Mix, I'm somebody, you could call me picky, I call it particular, but I know how I like things and I always want to be able to create my own meals. And, um, you know, so that was really the idea around creating a design your own salad and giving people these amazing ingredients and then letting them decide what they want to eat. Um, and we've just seen that become so pronounced in terms of being important for people. Now you have people that are adhering to all these different types of ways of eating and different diets. And so just having that flexibility where, it doesn't matter if you're vegan or vegetarian, if you're paleo, keto, you know, you can name all of them. You can come to our restaurant and you can design a meal that's for you and you're going to love it. So to enshrine your commitment to the people and, and people on the planet, you took mix through the B Corp certification process. And we talk a lot about that here on this podcast, but not a lot of restaurant chains have done this. So what made you want to become a benefit corporation, be, be certified company? 
Yeah, you know, I, it, I think it was interesting because it was something that I wanted to do for a while. Uh, there was just a, a moment in time where I realized I, I had been looking at it for several years. And then I went and said, you know, there's all these things that we do, but we don't have anyone else verifying that we actually do them. And especially as a lot of the language that we use um, was being adopted by many other restaurant concepts, it really became important for us to have some way to say, like, yes, what we're actually say we're doing, we are doing, and here's a third party that's going to verify that. Because unfortunately, as we started talking about in the beginning, is that there's really very little way to validate whether or not what somebody claims is actually true, especially when it comes to sustainability or um, employee practices. And so I just love that this was a very transparent and open way to do that. Um, then when I went back and looked and realized that there were no restaurant chains that had done it, I was like, oh, well, we're definitely going to do it. <laughs> um, we had to break through. And so uh, we went ahead and, and did that. And, you know, I'm so glad we did. And we're so proud to be amongst an amazing cohort of companies that are using business as a force for good in our communities. Just as a customer, I would say I think you could you could even put that a little more forward, in your at least in your location in Dallas. I wasn't aware that you were a B Corp um, from going there. So um, for what it's worth... Yeah. I think that, you know, getting that, I know it's a little bit tricky. Like you don't want to just be like, Hey, I'm so virtuous. I'm so great. It's a tough one to kind of get that balance. Right. But I was not aware that you had that differentiation off of the other restaurants. So possible opportunity. I think it shows that you walk the talk, which is but I'm important just for a, customers. I'm saying as a customer, I didn't, yeah. I didn't pick that up. Mm. So yeah, no, that's, you know. that's great feedback. Thank you. We're actually sending a, a new package, and we're putting it on our package to make Incredible. it more pronounced. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you can't be too strong about it, um, given where you're coming from in the restaurant industry, from the social, environmental, all that aspect. Just um, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. To wrap up. Well, the other interesting, oh, I was just going to say one other interesting thing. So I'm getting a lot of calls and emails from other entrepreneurs that are very curious about becoming B Corp. And, you know, so that's the other interesting thing that I'm seeing is that there is a, a movement happening and there is a lot more excitement as I see the velocity of these inquiries picking up. To wrap up, what do you think is the relationship between financial performance and environmental and social performance at Mixed? I mean, they're, they're so intertwined. One doesn't exist without the other. You know, if, if I always say, you know, if we can't be successful financially, we don't have a business, so we don't have anything. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to make sure that we are financially viable. But then on the flip side, our DNA is being sustainable and being about encouraging healthy lifestyle. And so we have to live and breathe that in everything we do. Um, but I think that's the reason that we have been around for 14 years and are accelerating and growing and seeing so much of enthusiasm around what we do is because of that commitment and because we have an amazing team that brings our mission 
and makes it reality every day. Thank you so much for, for joining us today and telling us your story. And, and thank you for the, the work that you've done. Um, we can't wait to visit the Dallas location and, and possibly even the ones in Los Angeles soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And Ed, it sounds, it sounds like I might need to hire you with your good ideas. <laughs> They're free. They're free. Just call me up anytime. Okay, great. I'll do that. Okay. All right. It's been great talking to you. You guys as well. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, And if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.